0: Hello, everyone. This is episode 3 of the Fancy Lab Coat Guild. Today, our special guest is Dr. Serhat Gumruksu. But before we get started, I do want to mention that this episode is sponsored by SciFind, a scientific collaboration network. SciFind is a platform where scientists can share empirical information like methods, know-hows, or expertise and grow their
1: reputation beyond just their papers. So, who's wearing our fancy lab coat today? Dr. Serhat. I mean... He's the co-founder of Enochian Biosciences, a biotech company focused on creating gene-modified cell therapies. He's got his MD and his PhD in genetics from Moscow State and Rudin University. Currently, he's the director of the Seraf Research Institute here in LA and is focused on molecular virology and antiviral research in regards to HIV. I also know that you're a polyglot, but I don't know what all the
2: languages you speak are. <laughs> what are they? Um, they are... Turkish, French, Spanish, Italian. Oh wow! Um, a little bit of Japanese, Japanese. A little bit of English, and Russian. I'm conversant in Arabic, and um, I can get by in Hebrew.
1: Oh my God! Oh wow! That is that's I, like all, all over the world. That's it. You're set. <laughs> I'm I'm put to shame. I thought I knew a lot of languages. <laughs> How about uh, you? Um, French. French, Russian, Spanish, English, Dutch, like a Neanderthal. That's how I speak, like Tarzan. Uh, Some Japanese. um, And then like a lot of hodgepodge from a bunch of other places. Impressive. But the Mm. top, like French, Spanish, Russian, English, like solid. No, like native speaker. Mm. I learned that when I was a kid. Um, So, Sirhat,
0: I want to start by asking you, how really are you today?
2: Am <laughs> <laughs> <look No>. <laughs> <laughs> I am amazing. You look cozy. Yeah. Uh, why are you amazing? Why am I amazing? Well, I mean, it's it's life. You have to appreciate every single moment you're in, and I, mm. you know, be grateful. It's it's my attitude of gratitude every moment. I love moment. that. Nice. I like that.
0: Okay. So and there's people that even say like how's your heart? So would you say that that resembles what's happening in your heart today?
2: My heart is wide open. <laughs> Ooh,
0: <laughs> nice. I like that. Who who is Sirhat? Now that we've 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 talked about how amazing we see you, but how would you introduce oh, yourself? Thank you.
2: Well, I am Oh uh, well, that's that's a difficult question to answer actually. <laughs> who am I? Well, I am a well i'm a man of science i am um i'm very spiritual um, practice i was i grew up with multiple religions in my family so um i believe everything is everything is connected and i'm a perpetual student of life Mm. nice i like that
0: and then going from there like tell us more about your origin like maybe a bit of your childhood
2: Sure. Um so I had a very loving family. Um an older brother who is a marine biologist. Mm. Oh nice. We grew up watching um Jacques Cousteau and mm. he was inspired by him and decided mm. to become a marine biologist. Um artist mother. Um my father worked for the government and we traveled a lot. That's where the like language, languages <laughs> oh languages come from. But
0: uh, we need to pause
2: on the art. What kind of art does she do? Um she's a classical painter, but wow. sculpting and th- everything. And um, that's beautiful. They were one of my first teachers and inspirations actually. And um, my introduction to art was actually what shaped my view in, in science and we'll mm. probably talk about it.
0: So in summary, like to break it down, so you were born like can I give us where you were born and then born in
2: Turkey, grew up mostly in turkey but then middle east europe asia traveled mm. a lot Nice and and uh, since i was two and two or three i mean as far as i remember mm. when i was asked what i wanted to be i would always say doctor or scientist wow. <laughs> sometimes i would say astronaut but Mostly <laughs> doctor and scientist, so A lot and of we scientists still have time. say
0: that, yeah, yeah, which is which kind of falls under the same category,
2: but we still have time, I mean it's yeah go to <laughs> space at some point <laughs> mm-hmm.
0: so, so but then looking at like reflecting on your childhood, what would
2: you say like
0: were like the things that kind of make you who you are today? can we like uh, f-
2: absolutely, um so p- one of the most prominent things that shaped my you know, view in mm-hmm. of, of world and and science, is when I was painting with my mother and and um, learning art, mm-hmm. right? And 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 she told me that you know we're we're using our tools, right? An artist has their tools. Mm-hmm. You have your media, you have your um, paint and brush and spatulas and everything, and. And, and those are the tangible tools of an artist,
3: mm.
2: right? And artists also have intangible tools. So she said, you can't create art without your tools, whether they're tangible or intangible. Mm. Mm. And with tangible tools, you, you can be a good artist if you want to be great, you need your intangible tools. And, and those tools are, she said, the disciplines of science. Mm. You have to know geometry, have to know physics and biology and chemistry and you know light and shadow Mm. and optics and perspective um all of it anatomy Mm. so so that you know that made me believe or think or see that you know science is a tool Mm. for us to create what we need to create yeah yeah i think that's a really um Uncommon,
1: pers- or maybe even a misconception people have about science, that it is this extremely discrete form when a lot of the experimental parts of it are really artistic and require quite a high level of creativity to execute.
2: It has to. It has to. Unfortunately, science has evolved into something different than what it used to be. And um, we became the tools of science as opposed to having science as a tool. Mm. So, uh, you know, in in most of most of the fields of research, um, science tells us what to do, mm. and as opposed to us figuring out, figuring out what to do by using science as a tool.
3: Mm. Wow,
0: that's really powerful. Wait, give me an example how science y- is making us do what, like basically what you just said, like how it's happening and versus what it should be. Well, in
2: in 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 medicine, for example, mm-hmm. what what we have is, you know. Uh, a list of diseases. Each disease is a set of symptoms and, and it's everything is in a box, right? Mm-hmm. And um, when you see a patient, you're trying to fit that patient in a box. And when they fit in a box, you have a diagnosis, which is a label, mm-hmm. right? It's basically a definition of what is going on with the person. And, and based on the diagnosis, you have your protocols that are preset, which what we call standard of care right mm-hmm. and you try to pick the best out of what is available to you it's like looking at a menu and, mm. and, and trying to f- you know fit the patient and the disease with the with the protocol mm-hmm. um father of modern medicine said we don't treat diseases we treat patients mm. mm-hmm. right yeah. we forget about that mm. so we are we're looking at a disease not at the person not looking at the patient and then we, we refer to our standard protocols mm. whether they fit the person or not that's what we are supposed to do right mm-hmm. so that's why we are the tools of science it's dis- dictating us what to do as mm. opposed to us figuring out what we need to do it's um, it's more about f- from my perspective science is about understanding more than knowledge mm. Hmm. Mm right? Um, our, our experience and, and education tells us how things work, right? And when you know how things work, then you figure out a way to go from point A to point B.
0: I see. Yeah. Yeah. And I, th- I think that. one
2: of the cool things like that I've heard in, in
1: medicine especially is how um, almost the f- feeling of the patient in like will determine the prognosis. So like happy people get better results than unhappy people, which is kind of an interest. It's a little uh, of a holistic perspective, but it's kind of like, well, yeah, if you're happier, you, you're, you want to live. So you'll have a better result. (laughs) It is.
2: is. And, and empathy is very important, which is sometimes lost. um, Yeah. Some people, I I remember my first year in medical school in, in Turkey, um, one of my favorite professors. He was um, he was an ER ER. He was a surgeon who became an ER physician eventually. Um, it was our introduction to clinics mm-hmm. class at first year, probably like three months into medical school. And he's he he said, "Okay, I, I'll start the class asking you guys a question." And he said, "What what do you think is the worst pain?" a person can have and and everybody had a different answer right mm. someone said childbirth and mm-hmm. kidney stone and migraines and you mm. know everybody had an opinion and um we have an expression in purkish we say um your soul is where your pain is mm. and and he said you know it's your soul is where your pain is it doesn't matter what's worse pain can be per, you know it's a, it's a matter of perspective yeah Mm. and then he said um, he asked what do you think is the lightest pain Mm. someone can have and and everybody had different answers and um, and he said well lightest pain is somebody else's pain oh wow Mm. Mm. so like that That (laughs) yeah yeah Yeah. that that is something I still remember every day so lightest pain is somebody else's pain Mm. you have to you have to listen to your patients, yeah. and you have to you have to understand that whatever they are feeling mm-hmm. is the lightest pain for you, but it you know That's not powerful. not for them.
0: I love that. All right, so bringing you back to your childhood again, because we kind of went on tangent. Yeah. Uh, what would be your favorite childhood memory that you want to
2: share with us? Well, I actually told about it uh, what when when I was when I was learning art and oh, um, it is. Um, I mean, I have a lot of favorite memories, but mm-hmm. it, it's probably what stuck with me most. Yeah.
0: Um, it's like painting with your mom, you would say. Yeah. Like, yeah, I love that. That's, uh, who, then wh- who would you say were your role models or mentors in your upbringing? Uh, my
2: parents and my brother. I mean, I, loved, I, I learned you know, love, compassion, tolerance, empathy mm-hmm. from them. And you know, the way I see the world would you say you have like a most influential person
0: as you were growing up or cuz some people would say no it's like kind of a collective
2: it is a collective you know yeah. it
0: takes a village yeah <laughs> yeah <laughs> and you you also hear like other like uh disip- like people w- with their careers they're like i had this one person that really influenced me to get into this but
2: my uncle mm-hmm. um so when i um finished high school i was 16 17 and uh, in in turkey and in europe we don't we don't have pre-med or um, mm-hmm. we, don't ha- we don't have yeah. un- undergrad so you just go to whatever discipline you, you go so you go from high school to medical school which is six years yeah um and you have to take a national exam to get a certain you know mm. um score and then you get accepted to whatever you yeah know, whatever yeah. university you you try to go and um, after the after the national national tests I went to the hospital that my uncle was working as a physician Um, and he said I want to talk to you and uh, (laughs) I you know already knew what I wanted to be but he you know he wanted to make sure that I'm going where you know where I'm supposed to be going (laughs) Um, yeah so went to his night shift um and, and he said, you know, what are, what are you planning? And I said, well, you know, go to medical school. And I said, amazing. <laughs> <laughs> <All good. laughs> um, and he's an anesthesiologist. So um, the, after that night I would go to the hospital that he works at and I would just go, go in surgeries. Even the summer before I started medical school, oh, I started, wow. yeah, I started watching, you know, watching surgeries and and he was telling, you know, teaching me stuff. Um, did you
0: feel like it was, uh, like you were out of place or did it felt natural? Being it, in a surgery room? It oh, felt, wow. It, cause it did. It did. I don't know if I can see blood. <laughs> 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 I always ask that much. Like, I've, I've probably never seen a dead person. I'm not going to lie. Well, I've never, like, so
2: the, fir- the first year um, at medical school, I had this girlfriend. Um, we're, we're drawing blood from each other. Like uh, with, don't with, even. with with wow. with with lancets, <laughs> with, with with lancets, we're just doing finger finger pricks, right? Yeah. Um. A so this <laughs> friend of mine, she we were paired to do yeah. to do it to each other, right? She's um, she's supposed to um, prick my finger. She does that, and she looks at my finger, and she almost collapses. Oh. And, wow. Um. <laughs> then you know she got up and she was fine. Yeah. Um. She's a brain surgeon now. Wow. So
0: yeah, I was actually I love that you said that because I was about to ask you for anyone listening to you right now getting inspired by your story, and has a fear of blood, would you still tell them to go ahead? Oh yeah, this? absolutely.
2: Human beings are you know we're adaptive creatures. You just mm. you just learn. Yeah. It's, there's always a reason. I mean, if if that's that's triggering you, it's because of something. And yeah, um, whatever the trigger is, I you like know, that. You can always work through that.
1: Mm-hmm. Oh yeah, I get super. It's not even for me. It's not even blood. It's like the the act of the extraction of things from my vein. Like it's <laughs> the vein part. That's very it's,
0: unique. You told me about yeah. this the other day, and I was like, "This is such a unique." Oh thing yeah, to be scared it of. makes
1: me like. If I go get my blood drawn, I'm like sweating buckets. I'll do yeah. it, but I'm just freaked out the whole time. <laughs> yeah.
2: So, what uh, kind of kid were you, Sirhat? I was. Um, I was very calm, but a handful. <laughs> <laughs> Elaborate more on this. Wait, <laughs> um, I just, um, you know, I I get bored easily, mm-hmm. and uh, I I didn't really like going out and play play with other kids. Mm-hmm. Um, I loved reading and and learning stuff, and um, you know, I was, I I have a really good memory. I I pretty much memorize everything. I experience uh, visual or non-visual so i self-taught how to read when i was three and a half oh wow um i would have my parents or my brother um read me you know those little child story books that are mm-hmm. like three or four pages long and i would have them read it for me for like two three times over then then i would memorize it that's so interesting and then i would pick up the book and because I memorized what it's written, I would look at the words and the sentences and I knew what it said. Mm-hmm. So I would associate words with what's written on the pages. Mm. And... Um, so would you say... Uh, I mean, I heard that exists, like the
0: photographic memory. Would you say you have that? I do. I do. It's it's That's more cool. than
2: photographic. It's I, I remember dates and conversations and work. I mean... the wow. g- <laughs> Pretty much everything. It's it's not an instant recall. It's just, you know, our memory... Our, our brain records everything Mm. right the moment we're born actually before the moment we're born we our our brain is constantly recording everything we experience so um memory is you know it's it's about having access to it yeah so uh, on this note that's very interesting that you're saying this
0: what would what would you say to the people that keep saying i keep i forget names and i always forget
2: things so everybody everybody has a different way of remembering things mm-hmm. you know because p- some people have better visual memories, some people have better auditory memories mm. um, My partner forgets names all the time and yeah. he <laughs> um, but he's a very visual person mm. so he realized that if he when he meets someone if he pulls out his phone and he types their name on a screen mm-hmm. and looks at it and then he remembers their name but if he just Here's their name. He doesn't remember. Mm. It has to be reminded several times. Uh, yeah. So it's, it's, it's all about knowing yourself and understanding what your strengths are. Mm. So, Because memories
0: are very... like I would say if you ask me what is the most powerful thing to have is a strong memory. But then <laughs> people... One can argue that this actually could be a, a curse because you won't forget stuff. Well, I want to remember stuff. It's not amazing. I mean, if you're married... <laughs> um, <laughs> the
1: the living Excel
0: sheet Think in about your mind. It, like, yeah. I, I'm an engineer, and we have a lot of equations, a lot of laws. I want to always have them top of my head because sometimes I forget. I'm like, oh, sh- I have to go see that in the book. Google, yeah, baby. But that's that's, <laughs> that's
2: that's that's different in science. I mean, you know, I, but we 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 know that we can't know everything. So that go that goes back to what I said about um, understanding versus now knowledge, mm. right? You're a scientist. You have to understand things work about but not you can't know everything right? yeah it's impossible to know everything but mm-hmm. we do have access to knowledge we have internet we have books we have resources um, so if you if you have the understanding of how, how things work then you can always refer to the knowledge and things you know look at things that you don't know you, mm-hmm. you learn them as you go but mm-hmm. you use your understanding to uh, to figure out what you know what solve the problem. Right? Yeah. I see. So I memory see. is not that important when it comes to yeah. science. It is it's very important, but you don't have to um yeah have an exceptional memory, I guess.
1: Yeah, it's mm. kinda like when they do all this standard like standardized testing in schools, especially nowadays with Google. It's like, no, have the understanding. If you need a point of information you yeah. can query for it. Yeah.
2: Yeah. And that's the thing. I mean it just you know, what do you feel comes from the way we are taught? Mm. Uh, because we we, you know at some point in history we confused teaching with making people memorize things Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. yeah you know imparting knowledge is not teaching Mm. imparting understanding is teaching so Mm. uh, so when you know when you're brought up and taught that memorizing things is important because it's you're associated with learning then Mm. you automatically think that you know you have to memorize things and you have to you know, it becomes a, um, you know, it becomes a pattern. Yeah, yeah. So apart from, like, science growing up, what was the things that excited you also as a kid? Um, Nature. Mm -hmm. Um, I did a lot of um, extreme sports, rock rock climbing and 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 bicycling and um, mountain climbing and and martial arts. Oh, martial Um, arts. Yeah, it helped me focus a lot. I mean, I was... Um, I mean, you're in great shape. The listeners can't see <laughs> <kind> of <laughs> it, but we can't. explain it. Thank you. I still practice <laughs> a lot. Um, That's
1: cool. Nice. Yeah. So, yeah, I wanted to kind of, on the topic of learning, let's go to your PhD, your MD. I know that
2: you went to school in Russia. I started in Turkey. In Turkey. First first four years, and um, I, had one of, I had this mentor who was a... Um, pediatric surgeon who who left allopathic medicine and and started reading old medical scriptures mostly from 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 middle east he was you know he was he was religious muslim so he was looking at you know religious medicine and and the practices Mm. um herbs and 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 different different modalities um he still used allopathic medicine but he wanted to you know he them both and he, you know, he told me just, just go out and learn. Whatever is ever considered medicine in this history of humanity, mm-hmm. everything, you know, they all has a merit, right? Um, they may or may not work, but you're, you know, you're, you're learning science, you're learning how things work, so you should be able to tell the difference between, you know, the real, real stuff and and, and things that, you know, don't work and. Uh, what you have to do is to un- try to understand the mechanism of of those treatments and modalities so you can use them you know you can put them in your in your toolbox mm-hmm. so um, one of those modalities he he inspired me to learn was leech treatment um, which is you know it's a it's a treatment modality that has been around for three four thousand years mm. in egypt India mm-hmm. China um, and then during the medieval times they got a bed wrap because they started you know, they tried using leeches everything and um, <laughs> mm. for everything and, you know, no no such you know, no medicine will be good for everything. So you have yeah. to you have to know what uh, what what to use it for. So um, so I went to Russia first. Um, in Saint Petersburg there's a university that um teaches and 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 applies leech to leech therapy so Mm -hmm. so i was there and um and i was just very impressed by the way they um they look at medicine which Mm. was very different than um what i was what i was learning in in turkey and and my education in turkey was was um exceptional too we um our university had um adopted what we call problem-based learning mm-hmm. um, which is not um which is relatively new problem-based learning basically walks you through patient scenarios um and you you basically try to understand it's a hypothetical you know patient visit mm. and you you start with the symptoms and um you're given basically a little script mm-hmm. um that on at every page, you're giving different information, and and the professor um, guides you through understanding of you know how to approach that patient and how to try to diagnose them and how to figure out ways to ways mm. ways to treat them. And of course, you're 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 a student. You don't know all the answers. So um, problem based learning allows you to um, understand how to ask right questions figure out what you need to learn Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. so so you know the scenario says a patient comes with a side pain and you think they have a kidney stone and the professor says okay um why do you think it's a kidney stone or or um how 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 do you think stones are formed in the kidney and of course you can't you know, you can't answer the question. Mm. You don't know it yet. So uh, at the end of the session, you end up with a list of things that you think you need to learn mm. in order to answer those questions. So in the next session, um, you're given those answers, but you have an open uh, session of three, four hours that you actually teach all the other students in the group what you have learned between mm. two sessions. Um, yeah. And because everybody had a different um has a different theory about what was going on. You think it was a kidney stone. Somebody else thought it was an infection. Mm. So you learn about stones and, and kidney functions and urinary system, and they learn about urinary system infections, right? Mm. Um, so everybody comes in, and they talk about what they learned, and they basically teach you mm. what they learned, and you just exchange. Um, yeah, learning. Exchange knowledge. So you're it's about learning what... It's about figuring out, learning a way to know what you need to learn yeah learning in
1: application is really it's like when you do you understand things and i feel like in science they make you come at it from like this giant breadth but from my experience when i first started working in molecular biology it was like no when i set foot in the lab and had very specific context for the problems then everything kind of clicks and opens up you're like oh that's what the purpose of all this is um Actually, going back to the previous, uh, when it comes to natural like natural methods um, or looking to nature for guidance, there's like a bunch of cool things, right? Like there's like people use um, maggot therapy, which is it eats the necrotic yeah. tissue. Uh, or I know in Eastern Europe they. Um, my parents. My parents are from the Soviet Union, and so they always told me about. They had a lot of phage therapy, which is now becoming like a super hot thing in America. Yeah. Oh, <laughs> oh yeah.
3: What is
0: that again?
1: Phage, so, you said. So, uh, phage is a uh, bacteriophage. It's a uh-huh. virus that only targets bacteria. Uh-huh. And now they use it for. There's like these um, virulent strains, like MRSA. Yeah,
2: antibiotic, antibiotic resistant bacteria. Yeah, I mean mm-hmm. we, you know, antibiotics don't always work for bacteria, especially wrong use of antibiotics throughout history may mm. may created resistant strains so um so phage therapy is a basically it's you know it's a, it's a form of um they they're viruses that um that only infects bacteria mm. so And they're not pathogenic to humans, Mm -hmm. so they can't actually create disease, you know, cause disease in humans. So you can you can use that to target the bacteria that's resistant to uh, virus. And um, it actually explains um, how I see um, science and how Mm -hmm. I do how I do research as well, because um, I have I have several principles that I that I that I have create it for myself when i when i when i do research or or approach patients um and uh, number one principle is that i'm not smarter than um a lot of amazing researchers who have been doing research on this field Mm -hmm. so if i'm trying to find an answer to something that is not solved yet um, and A lot of people have done research on it, mm. you know, in the past decades, like HIV or hepatitis mm-hmm. or cancer, um, and they have looked for answers in, in certain specific places because they thought the answers were there. So, um, so, my principle is that, you know, they were probably smarter than I am, and they had much more experience. They had worked on this mm-hmm. for decades. Mm-hmm. And... And they have looked there to find an answer, and if they haven't found the answer there, it's probably because the answer is not there. Mm, so wow. I have to look at somewhere mm. else.
0: That's a very interesting approach to do s- like research. Wow! And I and love that. and my
2: number two principle is that I am not smarter than nature, <laughs> <laughs> or or you know whatever your religious belief is or, or yeah. personal belief is. I'm not smarter than whoever created this. Mm. Right. So. I can't have the audacity to, to think that I can, I can create answers. I can't create answers. I can find answers that are already around. Mm. So um, one of my favorite scientists, um, Albert Szent-Györgyi, is a Hungarian scientist from the 1930s. He, oh, yes, vitamin um, C, right? He, yeah, yeah <laughs> he, 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 he isolated vitamin C. He also discovered Krebs cycle. Mm. So he he made one of the two most amazing discoveries and mm-hmm. um, wait tell us more about him because I didn't I don't know teach uh, us he, uh, so
0: he, I, he isolated vitamin C? he isolated
2: vitamin C he came up th- with the term vitamin actually oh cool um, and he isolated vitamin C he was a biochemist mm. uh, and then he all he, then he discovered Krebs cycle for um, for uh, isolating vitamin C he got a Nobel Prize what is Krebs cycle um, though Krebs cycle is mm. um, sorry for the my ignorance yeah <laughs> no no it's okay <laughs> um krebs cycle is uh, is a ch- is a series of um events that um chain chain reaction in the mm. cell that happens um for us to basically use oxygen and glucose to create energy molecules mm. that are atp so um it you know the the g- glucose molecule and oxygen goes in the mm. krebs cycle and, and a series of different enzymatic reactions mm. um, um mm. we we produce ATP energy molecules, Mm -hmm. and um, he discovered that, which is basically how we produce energy in in a cell. Um, And the the way he looked at science is very similar to to, to the way I see things, And, and he says, a scientist has to wander in the fringes of knowledge, Oh my god, yeah. I I know
1: exactly what you're He had this he he actually categorized scientists as like Apollonian and Dionysian. Dynacian. Yes. Yeah, we wow. were talking about yeah, this we the other day. We were talking about it. Yeah. <laughs> it's so random. Um, <laughs>
2: yeah. And and one of his favorite quotes <laughs> that I have, I know is um he said discovery by definition has to be at variance with existing knowledge. Mm. Wait, wait. Let's break this down a bit. Oh my god, I'm
3: am
1: <laughs> giddy right now because I love this. I wait, love this. Like, explain
3: quote.
0: this quote
2: actually. So, discovery means mm-hmm. you're you're figuring out something that is not known yet, mm-hmm. right? So, how can you figure out something that is not known yet by by using the knowledge that you know? Mm. So, mm-hmm. so so imagine science is an evol- evolutionary process right yeah. we are where we are mm-hmm. as a cumulative result of everything we have learned yeah that right? makes sense mm-hmm. so so how do we go from where we are to the next step by using what we already know if what we already know has brought us to where we are mm. if, if, if it could have brought us to a further step in science then mm-hmm. it would have done that yeah, already I s- so wow. so so you can't discover things by by using knowledge only you have to add something else mm. to knowledge so mm-hmm. so you have to take everything you know mm-hmm. and you have to add something you don't know to what you know mm. to go to a further place wow. in 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 the evolution of science and, yeah. and what what you don't know is basically your imagination, your creativity, or mm-hmm. um, you know, wow. e- and anything but knowledge. I love that. So yeah, I the love the, that. the other I needed to
1: hear this actually. The irony of it is that like the way that science is funded nowadays is highly, highly, highly prioritizes Apollonian. This mm, structured, ap- pr- yeah, prescribed absolutely. way of getting. To I mean, it. That's I'm
0: struggling with that currently. My I needed to hear this from you, Sarah, because I'm working on my research right now, and we are failing with everything we do with it. We like we're drawing these ambidjels. Mm-hmm. Long story short, and everything I'm doing right now is failing, and I'm reaching this like toxic kind of (laughs) states that is this even gonna ever work but i need so that's why i'm like i thank you for telling me this because it's it's thinking outside your box like be more creative i'm not gonna give up on it so no i
2: don't know yeah no you're i mean you're right but just um you look at it from different angles different perspectives just yeah uh, that's the most important thing where we um we sometimes tend to get stuck um stuck in in certain ideas that again i One of the principles i talked about i if if someone has looked at it and they didn't find a solution it probably isn't there yeah so you try to look at it from a different angle or or look at somewhere else another another um favorite professors mentors of mine um told me once if if something is taking too long and and taking too much energy Mm -hmm. um there are two possibilities you're either doing it wrong Mm. or you're doing the wrong thing. Mm. So you either have to change the way you look at it or change what you're doing. So, yeah. um, I mean, we've been thinking about it with my
0: PI, like uh, that, are we defying physics with this experiment? But we're very positive. We're very positive that we still have Mm. this positivity that our experiment will eventually succeed, but we're putting a deadline to it. That by May, if it does not work, We're gonna just say that this is just never gonna work. And we're gonna use what we've documented for people that come after us and say maybe they can make it work. That's how we see it. I mean, there's
2: no such thing as failure in science. Yeah. We're we're learning. I love that. Yeah, Yeah, we're learning.
1: Yeah. What what would you say, like, in, uh, first of all, um, in regards to your PhD or the research you do now? Um, what were some of the projects that, like, you got to those, uh, like, s- if you had struggle moments or like experimental problems that really grinded your gears? I,
2: I, I think, uh, for, and it, in in that respect, I'm very fortunate. Um, I can I can say pretty much over ninety percent of things I've come up with panned out, <laughs> um, and and that less than ten percent that didn't pan out taught me a lot. Mm. So. Um yeah i mean it's it i i i had i had difficult moments that i think things are not gonna work but i ha- i have a different approach to um to research and it's it's what tesla actually did i i learned afterwards mm. after after looking at this work and his life and i was like this is what i do mm. and um when I have a theory, I I set up the experiment in my mind. Mm-hmm. And, and I run the experiment in my mind yeah. and I see if it works or not. Um, and it's interesting. Uh, for some reason, I don't have a bias that happens What what's happening in my mind, the experience. Uh, it's the experiment. So uh, sometimes the experiment doesn't work. I mean, it's literally me closing my eyes and, and watching the experience happen on a, on a, on a screen and an experiment happened on the screen and it doesn't work. Mm-hmm. I don't know why it doesn't work, but mm-hmm. I know it's not going to work. So, um, and I have a theory about it. It's, it's you know, your brain has the, this gestalt, right? This, this cumulative knowledge and experience that you have accumulated over the years mm-hmm. in, in, in your scientific education ex- experience. So, uh, so my, my brain knows that it's not going to work. My mm-hmm. subconscious mind knows that it's not going to work, my conscious mind doesn't but my subconscious mind tells me in my mind when I run the experiment mentally that it's not working so I go back to the drawing board I redesign it <laughs> and, and and I and I keep doing this until actually it works in my imagination yeah, you're closing that loop the yeah. like logic loop in your mind yeah and 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 only when it works in my mind I actually run that experiment in the lab mm. um, and it and it works and uh, it's 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 a running joke in and in my research team and you know my my re- my fellow scientists and research assistants know the way I the way I think so sometimes they run something and it doesn't work and they're like this didn't work and I was like no it's supposed to work <laughs> said, do it again <laughs> do it this way it's supposed to work I know it's going to work and I said well it worked you know it worked in my mind so it has mm-hmm. to work and they they laugh but um you know they've been working with me for years now so they actually know
0: how Why do you not? build these ideas in your mind and get your confidence that it would work, though? It's very interesting. It's an interesting approach. And I feel like a lot of it, again, my humble opinion in this, you probably know more. As somebody that is doing research currently, I feel like there's, I suffer with a lot of imposter syndrome with my ideas. Like, I'm like, is it really going to work? I? Like, Who am I to create, like, to come up with something that would, def- like, my professor's even thinking we're defying physics. So yeah. that kind of gives me this. In confidence, I would say. And I hear you with all these confidence. The so c-
2: c- confidence is important, but it has to come with humility. Mm-hmm. Right? As, as I said, I, I, I never think that I'm smarter than anybody else in the field. Yeah, right.
0: which is beautiful. I and, yeah. um, but you have that confidence with your ideas. That's what kind of is very, I would love to kind of tackle you. with How do you get that? Like, I want to learn from it's that.
2: It's, it's an internal feeling. I just, I, 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 I feel it.
0: I know it. Mm. Is it? Does it come with experience? It, or it do, it were does you always like that?
2: It uh, it does. I I I was always like that. Okay. But I, you know, I always had my doubts about things when I was when I was learning, and um, it took a lot of unlearning, of course, because yeah. you know we're, our our academic educations uh, are not always perfect, and you know they're mm. they're they're not designed to always encourage us to think.
0: Mm. What um, would what would your advice be for researchers, like me, young, just getting there to build their confidence? I'm asking that for myself, but <laughs> let the listeners also, because I need to hear this. <laughs> <laughs> if there's a is there a recipe or what would your advice be for that?
2: Um, well, there is there's one thing again. You're 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 doing science, right? Mm-hmm. Science is about understanding how things work, so. There's no such thing as failure. Mm. So it, uh, anything you do, any result you get helps you understand how things work. So so something not, not working as you think it should doesn't mean that you're failing. It means you're learning. I see. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That's, you know, that's why I said in the beginning I'm a perpetual student. Mm. I right, I'm, I'm learning things so there's no such thing as failure. Yeah. And if you if you know there's no such thing as failure then um you don't need to have confidence. It's not mm. confidence. It's just a it's just a state of you know contentment. Mm. That you, you you are where you need to be and you're doing what yeah. you you know what you're supposed you're to do. You're right. To I learn. I'm the one who just called it confidence
0: like like you're right. Why why would I even relate it to confidence? I see your point at you. I like that answer. Yeah. It's more of like anything I'm doing is something that I'm learning.
1: Thus, take that pressure away from failure and like succeeding. Yeah. I think, I mean, mean, you work in the HIV space. I mean, HIV is super mutagenic. It's like fighting with something that's always adapting.
2: But, Mm. you know, HIV wasn't my field. I'm not a virologist. Mm um actually mm. a, i did my first residency in molecular biology and genetics then mm. i wanted to be a clinician so i did a second residency in surgery mm. and and when i was doing my surgery residency i was um because of my background in molecular biology and genetics i was um b- very interested in immunology and 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 cancer so i did my phd in immuno oncology mm-hmm. um clinically immuno oncology and um started Focusing on mostly um, cell therapies and gene therapies in cancer, most in the context of um, mm-hmm. bone marrow transplants, um, adoptive cell therapies. Um, during my postdoc, I had an amazing mentor, um, Dr. Slavin. He, he is is um, the inventor of the one of the latest bone marrow transplant method we're using mm-hmm. today, and I think he's one of the you know greatest oncologists that are alive right now. And um so my research was mostly mm-hmm. around you know, um around cancer. And um I actually hated microbiology in medical school. <laughs> <laughs>
3: um,
2: I didn't I didn't hate microbiology, it was just the way they, they were teaching us. Really it yeah, it's so really.
1: fun, it's like parasites and viruses and vaccines. <laughs> like yeah, it goes it.
2: back to <laughs> trying to memorize things. They were they weren't teaching us things, we were trying to memorize names and mechanisms and stuff. Um so, so I was I was working on developing a, a next generation of bone marrow transplantation, mm. actually, which which I did, um, and and I was making my transition to moving to Los Angeles, mm. and 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 one of my best friends in a conversation told me he had HIV. Um, it's actually an, an interesting story. He was he was he was dating someone, and I was still bicontinental traveling back and forth every couple of months. to LA. Mm-hmm. um, so and and my visit to LA, we were hanging out, and I said, "How is how, how is your dating life going?" And because he was dating someone two two months before when I was mm-hmm. here last time, and um, he said, "Well, it's it's not going because I tell I, I told him I had HIV, and he freaked out." Ooh. So so it made me feel like okay you know this is this is not supposed to happen mm-hmm. like this is this is this is not right so this is 2011 um, mm. 2012 and um, if you you know if you're if you're ex- you know if you know the field you might have heard about the berlin patient um, Timothy Brown. He was it was a man from San Francisco who had HIV and he had AIDS-related lymphoma, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, and, and he was living in Germany. And uh, as a standard therapy in lymphoma, you receive a bone marrow transplant. Mm. Um, and there is a naturally occurring mutation that happens in two or three percent of the world um, in the receptor that HIV binds to in order to infect the cell. The receptor is called CCR5. Mm. And a very small portion of the population has a deletion mutation in their CCR5 gene Mm. that makes the receptor a little shorter and smaller. The structure is different. So the virus can't recognize it and can't latch on and it can't infect the cell. So people have uh, the deletion mutation in their CCR5 gene are genetically immune to HIV. They can't Mm. get infected. Yeah. So... So when they were treating him, um, they were looking at the bone marrow registry. So they found a donor for him, a matching donor for him, um, who had that mutation. So he, he received a bone marrow transplant from a person who, who, was, who was genetically resistant to HIV. Wow. And, and our bone marrow produces our T cells that HIV infects, right? So if your mm-hmm. bone marrow is reconstituted by cells that are you know, immune to HIV, your T cells are immune to HIV. So he got cured. Yeah. Um, wow. First person to be recorded. Um, what year was that? This was two. So he received his bone marrow transplant in two thousand seven. Mm. Um, mm. HIV research community is uh, quite cynical, mm. um, because you know you're you're writing thirty five years of failure mostly. Mm. So um, you start believing that there's no, you know, there's no cure, there's no solution. Yeah. So it took about four years for the scientific community to be convinced that he might have been cured. So it was 2011. Uh, Everybody in the scientific community was okay. You know, Berlin patient. Um, Then his name was revealed afterwards. Timothy Mm. Brown. Um, Okay, he might he might have been cured. Mm. So, um, so I I was I because because you you know because it was cured by by a treatment that was done for cancer, which was within my field. I was very, you Mm. know, um, acquainted with it. So when my friend. Uh, told me about his story and I, and, and I said, you know, it didn't feel right and I um, I Wanted to find a solution for him mm. or people who had the experience, yeah. right? Um, so I went home and I started thinking about it and um, I was already developing a bone marrow transplant method that was um, less toxic and, mm. and and easy to do as an outpatient procedure so I um, i came up with an idea to take what cured berlin patient which is a very toxic and risky treatment and it's mm. very expensive and you p- bring the patient to brink of that um, by you know obliterating their bone marrow with um with high dose chemotherapy and total body radiation mm. um but you know if someone has cancer who's going to kill them mm. you can justify doing that but you can't justify doing it to a Person with HIV who is otherwise mm. healthy, right? Um, but the bone marrow transplant method I was developing is much safer, mm. and and it was possible to do it as an outpatient patient procedure. Yeah. Um, so f- so I came up with the idea because of my friend. I but I was not an A- HIV researcher. I was not in the mm. HIV field. So I, um, so I started, you know, studying. Virology and molecular virology mm. um, to learn more about HIV to understand what I was doing better. Wow. Um, mm. Took a few years, but um, in in the process, as I, as I as I as I learned more and more, I, I came up with a with an HIV vaccine mm. that's uh, that's in monkey studies right now and it's very promising. Uh, yeah. Then then another cell therapy for HIV, uh, who is what that is also. a potential cure that we'll, we'll see it's about to get approved by fda in the next couple of months so, wow. uh, but That's yeah inspiring. i was
1: reading I in the news there's a bunch of new advancements like just within the past couple months of like therapeutics yeah. and vaccines for yeah. it so that it's, would make sense that uh, uh, if if you're having it then there's also analogous like uh, yeah. that kind of happens in science it happens <laughs> yeah
2: simultaneously and you know four four or five years ago when i met tony Fauci first time um to explain what i was doing mm-hmm. and you know i, I explained him the mechanism of you know my 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 treatment and took 10 minutes for him to understand of course and and his answer was well his first question was like how old are you again <laughs> and um and his comment was like why did we think about this 20 years ago it's so wow. simple yeah uh, and when when we were leaving the the meeting he he said, "You know he said he always knew the solution for HIV would come from someone who's not in the field
3: mm-hmm. uh, i mean it, it was
1: super interesting because back when it, the AIDS crisis was happening, the scientists who discovered RNA polymerase had done it like uh twenty years before that, yeah. but the scientific community would not accept that that was a real thing." Whoa.
2: Um, that
0: tells you a lot about how people in the scientific community are approaching stuff. Like, there's a
1: problem then. Yeah, because like the, the dogma didn't fit it.
2: Oh, yeah. It is. It is. I mean, that it's like, it's torture. I mean, yeah, it's just, this is what just what we experience it every day.
1: Mm.
0: Why do you think that is? What makes them like that? And how can that be fixed?
2: Audacity? I mean, we, we <laughs> it goes back to the principle that I talk about. We, we, we think we're smarter than nature. We think mm. we... Um, we think we know everything. We mm. think we understand everything. That's how we, you know, when we design treatments, that's what we do. Uh, we we think we know where the solution is, and yeah. we get fixed on it. And mm. even if there's no solution there, we try to, you know, create one mm. there, which is which is not always perfect. Yeah. So it's 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 the same thing. In um, I came up with a new medi- mechanism of action as for an antiviral. Therapy approach three years ago, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, when I was studying hepatitis B for for a company that was developing a hepatitis B treatment, and they approached me and they said, you know, we have this data; it's amazing, and we need someone's um, clinical view of how mm-hmm. how we should use this in in clinic as a treatment. Can you yeah. can you look at our data and and you know tell us how you would use it in in, in clinical practice? So and as i was reading their data i was like i haven't studied hepatitis b since i learned <laughs> about it in, in medical school so i have to go back and and read so i started reading all the clinical studies that are going on in on hepatitis b field and in, in cure field in hepatitis b research in the past 10 years read all about the latest advancements and and then i then i was like i'm i'm reading about these and i still you know vaguely remember hepatitis b life cycle and so I have to go back to basics. So I, I printed a couple of um, papers on um, just basic basic hepatitis B one oh one, basically. Uh, and I was I was on the plane to um, Nashville from LA at night and I was reading that paper, uh, and I was taking notes and and I realized something that is potentially a cure for hepatitis B today. And mm. and I the way i the way i see it was um when i looked at hepatitis b life cycle uh, in virology what you do is you look at a virus's life cycle and and you you try to understand every step of of its life cycle and repli- replication cycle and and you look at enzymes that contribute to those steps and you try to develop drugs or, or treatments that would interfere with those steps of the life cycle so you can hinder the replication process of the virus, mm. right? And um, But none of, none of the medications that we develop are 100% effective in, in mm-hmm. blocking those enzymes. They're very effective but not 100%. Not so we can, we can suppress the virus mm-hmm. but we can never eradicate it. It's the mm. same with HIV, mm. same with hepatitis B, Um, so they turn into this, you know, this chronic Mm. disease and I came up with a mechanism of action that actually uses the enzyme of the virus, um, as a part of the treatment as opposed to blocking it Mm. and, and designed this drug that would, that's an inactive drug that would only be turned into an active drug. If, if the virus's enzyme is present, which is basically in an infected cell only, and and when it, when the virus's enzyme looks at that drug, it actually thinks that it's a part of the virus because mm-hmm. it's coded like, a, um, it's genetically coded to look like a part of the virus. So the enzyme thinks that in order to replicate the virus, it has to process the drug. Mm-hmm. And And when the drug is processed by the viral enzyme, it actually turns into a kill signal and tells the cell to kill itself. Mm. So we call wow. it hijack RNA. You know, in like virology virology one oh one we're taught that h- viruses hijack the cell machinery mm-hmm. to replicate mm-hmm. themselves, right? So so this drug hijacks the virus machinery mm-hmm. to kill the infected cell. Mm-hmm. So again, you know, I'm not smarter than that nature, so I, I look at how the virus works um, and how it you know, how it infects the cell and I use the same mechanism to, to kill the virus.
1: Wow. I mean, a lot of beautiful yeah. things in science are just discoveries of nature. CRISPR, yes. TAC polymerase, yeah. like, I mean, I you can go on and on. Um, mm-hmm. I think I, I would love to know, obviously, you were, you know, you're a doctor, you're a researcher, there's already this kind of very practical um, fusion of that. How did you end up? Working in a biotech company, having your own research institute—I mean, those are some. Oh, that's a lot of power. That. That's a lot of influence, yeah. and I need
2: to and know fun. that. fun, I, <laughs> I want to hear about that. Yeah. yeah. So, uh, well, yeah. So, um, so the biot- biotech company came first in 2016, mm. and when when my HIV research looked like we could actually have a cure, um, we founded the biotech company, and and at the time I was. Uh, consulting for different biotechs and pharma companies and Mm -hmm. what the way um the way they hire me is usually to troubleshoot and fix their problems Mm -hmm. like when when a pharma company develop a drug um, develops a drug that um looks like it's supposed to work and early early research shows that it's very promising Mm -hmm. um goes into you know clinical studies phase one looks great and at some point through the clinical trials it fails Mm. and and they don't know why it failed. Uh they they hired me to try to figure out what was wrong with with mm-hmm. with the um mm-hmm. with the drug or with with the study design or with with mm-hmm. any part of the process uh to see if to see if I can make it work. Mm. And um so you know year, years of research and a lot of resources went into development of the drug so they have to uh, make a n- go no go decision at some point if, if something fails and mm-hmm. you know that's not a very easy decision to, to make oh yeah. Mm. Uh, so I helped them make that decision yeah, right. yeah. Um, so I was hired by this Danish company who was um, developing a, a therapeutic colon cancer vaccine mm. uh, 12 years of research millions of dollars and um, and they you know it, it looked great but it eventually didn't work and mm. they um, they approached me and they said, can you look into our technology and tell us, shall, shall we continue working on this or shall we just drop it? Um, so I met with their scientific team, with their management, uh, their board, they're from Denmark, they flew to L.A. Mm. And <coughs> we had these meetings. And uh, you know, I looked at their into their technology and I said, this is promising, it's a very old technology. It's It, it hasn't been, science has advanced, but mm. their technology hasn't um so it was it's a dendritic cell vaccine for um Mm -hmm. for um cancer so i told them that i can make their vaccine work better Mm -hmm. and it would take about three months so um but we became friends eventually in the the process i worked on their vaccine uh, for three months to increase its its clinical efficacy and in the meantime they were like what are you doing um, mm. in, in your research, and I talked about Inokian, um, and again, and again, the HIV research that we're, do, we're doing. So they're like, why, why don't we, you know, merge our companies? Mm. Um, their company was already public on OTC, so they they wanted to merge merge our companies and um, bring funding. Mm and you know uh, our deal was that we would bring the ip and um and the hr research and and they would they would fund it yeah and um we would we would progress the science so it took about one year for us to finish that deal and we Mm -hmm. eventually merged um they decided to keep uh, our company's name nice and um about a year after that we got uplisted to NASDAQ so hmm. we're, we're in NASDAQ impressive. publicly traded it's it's not a easy undertaking what drives
0: sir ha- on this point I just want to ask This <laughs> interesting like what drives you to create like to do the things you were telling us like is it money no what's not that? at all what's your it's incentive
2: so um, so the HIV research came from one of my best friends who had that experience mm-hmm. right um, I wasn't an HIV doctor. I wasn't in HIV at all, but yeah. um, but I wanted to help him. Mm. And um, so it's
0: more of like you you see it as a huma- can I say it's a humanitarian incentive? It is.
2: It is a humanitarian incentive. I mean, every I except for COVID, mm. I never sat down to find a solution for a disease to to develop a drug. Mm. So everything I, I have invented, everything I have come up with. Is from a person that I have encountered, either yeah. as a patient or a friend. So a patient comes with an obscure disease or an incurable disease, mm. and I try to find a solution for them. And that solution uh, can turn out to be a you know a potential treatment that would help other people suffering from yeah. the same disease. It turns into a drug candidate, and it turns into a drug. So um, nothing I have created comes from the motivation of actually developing a drug or mm. or making money on it it's, wow. it's about helping a person that i have encountered do you think this is the recipe to succeed uh, absolutely yeah. so it shouldn't be money it shouldn't be money because money comes with success whether you like it or not i mean if you're successful but you mm. can only be successful if you have a genuine you know Heartfelt. So,
0: for any scientist right now listening, including myself, money should be off the table for me. I I should not think of that.
1: People (laughs) don't go, people don't do their PhD (laughs) things. There's going to be money. (laughs) It was never, (laughs) yeah, that's (laughs) very true. Absolutely, (laughs) (laughs)
2: absolutely not. But if you're, if you love what you do, you become great at it. It's, It's a given.
0: But I'll say that somebody that is doing his PhD, and you're absolutely right, money was never my incentive. But it becomes an like, because of how it's so, it's a struggle financially to do your PhD. Part of you kind of, when getting into the real world, you think about money, which I don't like that about myself. I don't want to think about money. I want to just keep it with, about like, what I want to do and what I love. But the struggle throughout the PhD journey makes you say, hey, I want to be comfortable.
2: It'll get better.
3: <laughs> I can, t- <laughs> I can tell you that it will get better.
0: But yeah, you, I I need to, yeah. That's that's very powerful. No, I love your I love your incentive. That's really cool. I, yeah. think, I I really think that this is how it should be. When it comes to I in any, even with art, I've actually talked to some artists and they do say that whenever it becomes about fame, attention, or money, you lose your creativity. Yeah. I, I and I like to apply that to the engineering discipline because I see because that. Because it distracts also. you. Yeah. yeah, I mean yeah. the
1: interesting thing is right historically, um, where you had artists and scientists, and there was always this level of like, page, if you were an artist, you had a patron, and the patrons just, you know, let's say you're Gustav Klimt, you're just yeah. funded by your patron, and they don't care, they're just do 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 you, I don't care. There's yeah. no in- financial, they're so rich, there's no incentive. Yeah,
2: I mean that's <laughs> that's that's the problem with grants too today. I mm. mean, you know, grants. Ironically, you know, you can easily get grants if you were given grants before. Mm. So how do you get your first grant? So wow, well, yeah. you know, how does that work? And and I, uh, you know, I I refer back to Albert Sanz Gergi because mm-hmm. he had a he had a very strong opinion of uh, uh, of, yeah. of grants because he was like, I've made two huge discoveries in science, mm-hmm. and if I knew what was what I was going to do, I would have never made those discoveries Mm. so you know when you're writing grants you're writing a, a plan for the next year or two about what you're going to do but how can you know what you're going to do if you're going for a discovery
1: yeah, that's like what, we, we were talking about this the other day, Holly. Yeah. I'm like, it's kind of it's kind of counterintuitive. It is. Ha- mm. you, it is. you expect me to predict that which I, I'm doing. That's why it's research. Yeah, I mean, I can give you
2: exactly. Semi- if, yes. I, if, yeah. I yes. Yes. if I already knew if I already knew the answer, then I wouldn't be running the research. Yeah, like, right. <laughs> yeah. how yeah. can yeah. you yeah. plan
0: that? You that's can't. pretty much what I'm going. Yeah, we literally talked about it two days ago because that's. I can't say more. I'll say that it's confidential (laughs) Um, (laughs) about my research. But yeah,
1: it was discussed like off the mic. Yeah. Yeah. As a as as a leader, I mean, you. I mean, you run an institute. You consult with a lot of people. What's one of the uh, things about leading and managing people that no one prepared you for, or being a teacher in that sense? What did you have to? Did you have to learn anything in that?
2: I. Well, I I I learned that I am learning from everybody around me. Mm. And that's very important. That's cool. I'm. I. I am. I am told I'm a good teacher. I think I am. Um, I can sense it. But it's. <laughs> but it's. But it's because of the fact that I. Again, I don't think I'm smarter than them, and I. I th- and I think I'm. I'm there to learn from them as well. Mm. And that's that's what came with experience. I wasn't expecting that. I. You know, when I was when I was starting, I would think, okay, I will just I'll just impart my, knowledge and experience yeah. and. And my um, my view, and and it turned out to be an amazing exchange, rather than just one one way one way relationship.
1: Yeah, just a little bit of I mean, I'm always interested in this kind of more philosophical banter of this. Um, what do you think about? Um, obviously, a lot of research comes from public funding. Uh, what do you think about the way that that public funding is kind of controlled first by universities but it's funded by the taxpayer and then companies can kind of take over this when what do you think about kind of the patents and the uh, how does the intellectual aspect of science play into your work or i mean you you're at a biotech company so
2: well i have two words for you um John Salk, hmm. polio if you if you know his story I don't know his story. Um, I would love to hear. So Jonas 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 Salk is, um, well, he became a celebrity, which he hated. Um, he was a virologist mm-hmm. who who came up with the first effective and safe polio vaccine. Um, and in in late late forties, early fifties, when polio was killing a lot of people and mm. causing you know p- paralysis and um, in in kids. Uh, he was, uh, he had his lab in University of Pennsylvania. Uh, then he had his lab in, I think it was called National Foundation of Infantile Paralysis, mm-hmm. which was mm-hmm. a part of collaborating with the with the university. And, and he came up with this vaccine. It mm-hmm. turned out to be very effective and safe, but he was using um, pretty much very well-known archaic methods that were, you know, thought that it would not work for polio, but mm-hmm. it turned out that it did. Mm-hmm. So... Um, so he chose not to patent it. And when mm. when he was um, when he was giving an interview, they asked, you know, who do you think the the IP belongs to? He his answer was, I would assume people. Mm. And and he said, can you? You know, his 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 answer was asking a question back. He said, can you patent the sun?
3: Wow. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> it, it, belo- it belongs to I everyone.
2: And and actually. Ironically, University of Pennsylvania and the National Foundation of Infantile, infantile Paralysis tried to patent it the sun? behind his back. No, no. Oh. B- <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm sure you could try. Um, I mean, pe- tried to patent the polio vaccine that he created, oh, wow. and and yeah. their their IP attorney said this is impos- impossible to patent. It's so simple, and mm. there's nothing novel about it, so you can't patent it. And if you even if you try, I. I mean, at at the time, um, the market value of that polio vaccine was considered about seven billion dollars. Oh wow! And we're talking about mid fifties. Wow! Right? And, yeah. and and he 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 went on to um, found um, Salk Institute mm-hmm. in, in La Jolla, which is one mm. of the biggest research oh, institutes yeah, awesome. in, yeah. in the world. So um, so my vision for Seraph Institute is basically to create another Salk Institute and and and
3: yeah
1: Yeah, I think that that, that's the thing like and uh, I've always thought about that with science even you look at something like CRISPR has all these patent disputes it's like it's it's a fact of nature
2: it is I mean I have I have a lot of patents I you know we have a uh, I I founded co-founded a company who's public right now we have hundreds Mm -hmm. of of shareholders and people to please Mm -hmm. Um, it is important for them and and for us too i i um i do have a lot of patents but i we come up with the same problems that uh that was with jonas salk's polio Mm. vaccine because most of the things i i develop are so simple that Mm. are um they are novel because of the fact that they come from a different perspective, but mm-hmm. they are very simple, so they're very difficult to patent because, yeah. mm-hmm. um, you know, in in in, in patent, um, in patent law, you have you have two important things. You have you have to have be you know you have to be novel basically, mm-hmm. and novelty is very important, and and. Um, So prior art is basically, if someone has, has published on it, you can't patent it because mm. it's public knowledge. It has to be null, and the, the prior art shouldn't have existed, you know, shouldn't exist uh, around, around the technology that you're, you're developing. And, and the way to uh, come around go th- those problems, those hurdles, uh, there are a few different secondary considerations. Um, one of them is a highly unmet need, um second secondary consideration is failure of others and the third consideration is unexpected results mm-hmm. so someone may have might have tried something similar but if they failed and you did something slightly different and and yours worked then then it's patentable so we come across with these issues all the time and and i think patents are important i i but i don't think that they should be held on to the way they are mm-hmm. I, I think that's
1: a very that's a very measured yeah. response i like that but i do have a question i'd like to
0: because me and guy go in these discussions all the time uh, on a like personal level but i my counter argument always about patents is do you think don't you think that patents are what drives the the advancements with humans because again mm-hmm. it kind of creates that incentive so when you say there should not be patents, people would actually like
2: lose that incentive. No, I mean you patents are point? publications too. I mean they're they're published papers, so they they teach mm. us things as well. It's you know it's it's important. Uh, it's important to have them it's just important also you know as important to not not mm-hmm. get stuck on them mm. I, yeah, you know no if I, if I, if i develop something that's patented and if someone needs my technology to to advance their science i you know at my my main drive would not be financial mm.
0: the way i would even rephrase my counter like the devil's advocate with this discussion is that i feel like i totally agree with the concept that should be the way you guys are saying but it's very utopian and the r- and the world is not utopian when you say that there should not be patents
1: is there going to be advancements you see i don't know yeah i mean, I mean it's I an mean, interesting
0: perspective
1: i mean i see it as it's it's it, and we've talked about this before whether it's um for example you're a privately funded company who's used your own funding to create a new technology you know it's created within your own space it's yours but mm-hmm. once the taxpayers have paid for portions of it then it becomes kind of peculiar because
2: oh no absolutely i mean a lot of a lot of hiv research actually one of the you know most prominent hiv drug that's also used for you know pre-exposure prophylaxis I mm. uh, one of the two drugs that are in the pill um, was public funded mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. it public-funded research? So, so there's a
1: bit of a. It's like a that that to me. It's like, just from a very simple, you know, almost childlike perspective. It's like, well, he he who paid for it is, should own it. Should own it yeah. in a sense. And if taxpayers paid for portions of it, then the return on that is either you open it, the patent up mm-hmm. to the people, but how can you
2: or 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 you make it? sure that it's priced in a way that reflects? Yeah reflects that yeah
1: yeah interesting so i mean those are i mean uh, to me it's kind of like i mean obviously it's a mixed bag i mean maybe because i'm thinking of it in a very engineering point of view because
0: in engineering people like engineers love to create patents and it's more of a it feels like an accomplishment for them i discovered this device it is a publication yeah so i'm thinking of it like you i love you listening to you guys because i feel like
1: i need to listen to this Uh, engineering is like I I guess how I imagine it's like it's a a thing that you can make but biology is like it kind of already exists and so you're just depicting and that is where biological patent law and IP stuff gets Mm -hmm. super difficult like because it's and there's moral
0: aspect to like because it's medicine you're treating people it's more it's more complex than engineering where I discovered this device and it could aid your life but do you really need it to survive? Not really so I see your approach, I like it, but anyways. <laughs>
1: <laughs> <laughs> um yeah, I mean, I guess coming to kind of the end, i mean, I would say what well, you kind of already spoke about this before, but how would you would you, do you even think failure exists for you? How would you define failure in something
2: I, the, the, I don't I don't think failure exists in science it's it's a it's a learning process right mm-hmm. so when when, when one year running your experiments and work or working your, your theories you have to know that you're not you're you you have to know that you're trying to answer questions rather than prove something right if you're trying yeah. to prove if you're trying to prove something then failure exists because if you can't prove it you have failed but if you're trying to answer questions and understand the nature of things and how things work then however the 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 result of the experiment come out mm. you have you have you know you have reached your goal because your goal was to learn something and you have learned from it
1: yeah there's no right or wrong it's just yeah. kind of a i mean a spectrum of learning
2: so it's 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 about how you set your goal right what's your goal my goal is to learn learn from what I'm doing rather mm-hmm. than you know um proving something. And if what I learn proves that, that's (laughs) amazing. It's the other way around. Mm
1: -hmm. Um, Yeah. I don't even know. I mean, you're both a, you're both a scientist and a doctor. I mean, what, what has been the biggest life takeaway from being in these two positions? Like how have they, I guess they're a part of your being. They are,
2: they are, Mm. they are. And, 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 you know, my, um, my medical, my, my clinical work fuels my research, as I said. You know, I, I, I don't, again, except for, except for COVID research, it, mm. It, mm, my research was never about finding drugs or developing drugs. It was about helping, helping individuals. So they're, they're intertwined and they're, they're feeding on each other.
1: Mm. What's next for you?
2: What's next for me? I guess the next pandemic. <laughs> <laughs> um, <laughs> they're going to happen <laughs> inevitably yeah
0: I mean have you heard the latest uh, Bill Gates uh, Bill Gates just declared something very scary and controversial he said governments should be ready because the next terror attacks are going to be biological have you Probably. guys heard about his claim
2: that's I very ha- interesting I, I yeah. have not I have not but I'm you know after after uh, being involved in public health and, and, mm. and infectious diseases i I'll, I'm you know I'm connected to a lot of public health experts and mm-hmm. collaborators mm-hmm. and um, and apparently it's you know if if you're in public health you know we, we expect pandemics every f- every few years yeah. so even before you know we get to biological warfare mm. uh, we we knew coronavirus pandemic was going to happen yeah. we we expect you know we expect the next big one is influenza it's going mm. to happen in the next 2 3 years it will oh, wow. and uh, you know, in, in, in public health and in and, and, and epidemiology, 70% of the pandemics that we expect in the near future are either from influenza or coronavirus. Mm. I mean, we already knew that people have been running simulations on it. Mm-hmm. And... Um, People, a lot of people think that this is a surprise, but it actually isn't. Mm -hmm. We we were expecting it, and we're expecting the next one will be again either influenza or coronavirus. Mm -hmm. Uh, And biological warfare is something real. It's it's. Governments are actually, you know, investing a lot of money in in biological warfare prevention. Yeah, rather than you know, rather than developing weapons, but it is it is a possibility. Yeah, because the uh, pandemic kind of
0: showed how this could really affect an entire society. So
3: absolutely, that's
2: that worrying to w- know. <laughs> well, I mean, one of the one of the biggest issues around it is that you can't really select who you're targeting. So, mm. uh, so it's a mutually yeah. assured destruction. That's what b- b- probably is preventing yeah. people from using it.
1: Yeah. What do you think? What would you, what would you improve on for our next pandemic? Ooh. What do you think are the biggest
2: education, <laughs> <I need laughs> besides <Saderness>. that, <laughs> besides that? So we we we, 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 I, we developed a, um, a, a drug for COVID, which is based on hijack RNA. It's mm-hmm. also we developed it for for influenza too, but it's in the back burner right now because mm-hmm. COVID is um, obviously a bigger problem at the moment. Mm-hmm. Um, it has the ability to target any variant or any coronavirus strain. Um, so because it targets a region of the virus that's, um, that's conserved across different mm-hmm. variants. Uh, so it works against everything right now and it will work against mm-hmm. any variant that, that the virus will mutate into. And, and I think it, it might be the drug that will actually end pandemic. And it will. Mm. Be, it may prevent mm. future pandemics on coronavirus too, because it works on every strain and every every variant. So, um, we may have a solution for it. It's mm. um, the first submissions were done um, to the FDA, and um, we're hoping to get it approved in the next few months. And mm. it's very exciting, actually. Awesome. Um, yeah, I, mean, I, I think yeah. some of
1: the scarier things with it is more the, like the zoonotic. Capabilities of it, where it can just add al- with climate change affecting how. Oh yeah. This, this yeah. Just That's what I mean
0: by the word zoonotic—that's
1: like a. Uh, yeah, it's, it's, it's second like language here. It's, it's like um, <laughs> viruses that go through uh, animal transmission. Uh, like they evolve. They jump the species. Them. Oh, yeah. I see. I they see. jump species. So okay.
2: coronavirus comes from bats or um, felines. I mean, mm. they, it infects uh, minks, for example, mm-hmm. and, and and some other animals. Uh, yeah. Influenza, even though there are human strains, the biggest pandemics of influenza we have uh, mm. either have jumped from um, swines or or birds. Mm. So swine yeah. flu or, yeah. or avian flu, mm. and those are those are the biggest. And uh, you know we're we're think we're actually thinking of um, creating an animal uh, department to, to do influenza and coronavirus research for uh, using our hijack RNA for animals so that if you know if we can stop the epidemic uh, like uh, um, avian flu or or swine flu in 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 birds or um mm. pigs yeah which you know it happens in, in 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 farms and industry so if we can stop their flu a flu epidemic in you know in, in pigs it mm. will prevent it from jumping to humans so we we may actually stop it from even happening yeah you want to um, stop it before it gets to the exactly so yeah. it's point. it's That's it's it's not smart yeah i yeah. like
3: that so vaccinate uh, all the
2: pigs first <laughs> yeah yeah vaccinate or <laughs> treat them so we're we're work we're working on having having our research expanded to, um animals in at, at saraf institute mm. and uh, it's exciting. It's it's a little out of the box, and my uh, head fireologist was surprised by the idea, but he's also excited mm. about it. So, going 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 back to the source of things. Mm. And,
1: and what do you think would help the? P- I, I mean, there's a lot of misinformation, and the public has a certain uh, uh, taste in their mouth with, you know, coronavirus and stuff. What do you think we could do better with? I guess, to make the public understand or have them be, uh, I guess, active and active participants in it and see that, you know, for example, with the COVID vaccine, like it's actually a scientific marvel. And so it hurts a little bit. Mm.
0: (laughs) The conspiracy theorists (laughs) and all of, yeah.
2: Education. Education. You know, education is... Ignorance is much more dangerous than than a disease itself
0: well people like that are against the vaccine for example to use that as a solid current example i've had a conversation with somebody who's anti-vaccine and he keeps telling me that his resources are from scientists because my first argument is, is telling him are you literally listening to the science like are you understanding that this is actually an accomplishment he's like no i've heard it from scientists how would you, how would you tackle yeah but that? that's
2: that's that's the thing i mean uh, th- th- it, it, go, it again, it goes back down to education because b- b- laymen don't know the difference between, you know, real experts or when when, when you see there's an MD or a PhD after somebody's mm. name, you think that that person's an expert or, or a scientist, yeah. but it doesn't mean that they know what they're talking about. Yeah,
1: I totally agree. Yeah, yeah my yeah. word of advice is, you know, if you've done your research, okay, if you can read this PubMed article
2: and, and tell it. and,
1: uh, and to explain it to me. Yeah. You've yeah. done your research. <laughs> well,
2: unfortunately, a lot of scientists can't explain a lot of things to us. So, mm. uh, yeah, that's another uh, one. That's a that's a that's a high bar. <laughs> <laughs> yeah.
1: Read an article. Tell me what it says. <laughs>
2: yeah, I, I I used to be very patient with with anti-vaxxers, and mm. um, I I respect their opinion, uh, and everybody's entitled to their opinion, but I. Uh, and I, from time to time, I would try to explain them things, mm. and it's, uh, it's 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 a it's a different feeling because sometimes you feel like it's an insult because I've been doing this for you know almost two decades, yeah. uh, you know every every day of my life, yeah. and I'm considered to be you know one of the leading experts in the field, and someone who has no idea uh, about. Sitting on his but couch, watching and his Google his feed and on googling, Instagram. I- googling <laughs> things again. It's uh, I respect their opinion, and yeah. I'm not diminishing their opinion. Or that's actually very their kind view. of you, because uh, I wouldn't
0: be surprised if you could be like, "This is insulting." But yeah, it's yeah really but I I I
2: I, I was at patient. a dinner. I was at a dinner at a friend in uh, in Miami, and a, a bunch of guests, mm-hmm. and and one of them, they turned to me and asked, "So, what do you think about the vaccines?" And before I could answer, she said. By the way, we're all anti-vaxxers here. So, mm. so I had, I ran all the scenarios of that conversation. <laughs> <my mind>. all, <laughs> the, all the possible scenarios. How, how, how you know, where would this conversation go if I answered A, B, C, D? Which, which way? Yeah. I, um, and uh, my answer to her was, I, I respect your opinion, but I don't think you're qualified to have this conversation with me. And wow. I, I mean I'm I'm happy to try to teach you things, but if you if you're set on your opinion and mm-hmm. you're not going to listen to an expert, I would not waste my time and mm-hmm. energy yeah. to you know, for someone who is not willing to learn.
3: Yeah. It's like
2: it's again it's about it's about respecting your, your opinion. If you're not willing to learn, then I respect your you know, your your opinion of not being willing to learn as well, then I won't be trying to teach you. Mm. Week
1: one, Mm. top epidemiologist hat. Take that off. Week two, geopolitical Mm -hmm. pundit. (laughs) 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 That's a true scientist approach
0: because I like to always believe that no matter if I'm sitting on a round table or like any on any on any sitting and somebody brings something that is completely the opposite of any of my core beliefs I want to listen to him I actually want to listen to him more than the person who agrees with me so of course, that's
2: how you progress yeah are you this is what we learn. do on
0: a daily basis with ourselves in research so I love your approach yeah, yeah. I
2: mean I tell my team members all the time always question me always ask questions yeah. always you know try to contradict me because I don't need people to just say yes. It's yeah. I, how am I going to advance?
0: You're not going to, yeah, exactly. I don't think I would grow if I don't sit with people that disagree. hot. So, so we have this cool thing that we want to kind of go over with you. And uh, have you ever played Sims or SimCity? I have not played it, but I know what it is. Uh, so this is basically our ending question before we get into the game Uh, and the ending question would be that we want you to imagine uh, basically that you're given a key a free reign and a well-funded reputable institution okay you're like sir you this is the key to the perfect campus out there and money is no object you can hire whoever you want how would you picture your utopic institution like walk us through it. Like, what would you create? Tell us. We want to hear that. Oh, wow.
3: Okay.
2: Um, I th- I th- I think I'm actually in the process of creating it. <laughs> in the, in the real really? Life. That that's real e- that makes it even I mean, more amazing. Uh, well, tell us. So so that exactly. I mean, SARF Research Institute is is exactly what it is, and and I gave the example of Salk Institute, which is which mm-hmm. is my vision. A just collecting PIs that are uh, thinking out of the box mm-hmm. and creating an educational institution that um, that teaches science as an arts rather than science. Mm. It is it's about you know, it's about everything I told you, you know, the way the way I view mm-hmm. the way I view science and, and, and science and research. So I to create an institution that answers questions that are not answered or are considered to be unanswerable but uh, the most important thing about it is that every every level of scientists whether mm. they're students or you know phd students or grad students or senior scientists that we 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 know that we're learning from each other so mm. a, it's 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 always a round table discussion yeah so nobody's nobody's superior to anybody else we always we always listen it doesn't have to be a democracy. Of course, decisions are usually made by people who are at the, you know, head of their teams. But uh, but it's always an open table discussion that mm. you know, we 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 learn from each other and uh, we encourage to learn from each other and we encourage mm-hmm. to learn by ourselves mm-hmm. and bring that that knowledge and experience to to the table and uh, just. Just doing research to not only help humanity, also also the world. I mean, in 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 medical science, I always I always say that uh, we're trying to save lives of people, but you can't you can't save people without saving the planet, and mm. we're not really doing a good job around it. So, mm. so I'm I'm quite passionate about climate research and and um, regenerative regenerative practices to mm. to make sure that we we heal the earth as well as you know heal people so so the research would probably focus on not only medical science and biotech but uh, also also healing the world so Mm. it's still healing just just not humans but the planet
1: yeah I think Mm. I think uh, one of the interesting arguments for climate change even you know it's like Pascal's wager in a way with it where it's like okay what if it's not what for people who are climate change deniers it's like even Mm. if it's not real and even if all this stuff what's the worst case scenario of having a sustainable like green economy and like not having pollution (laughs) things like that like people are afraid of
2: (laughs) people are afraid of change but sometimes change comes whether you like it or not so you you might as well try to pick the favorable one right yeah
1: yeah it's like you can make everything nice and green you know wow i guess we are
0: reaching the end i just realized mm-hmm. that. it just hit me sitting with you talking it just, just the time flies with you all right Thank so you. we we are reaching our end and we actually didn't tell you this but we have a surprise game okay. we did not show this to sir had by the way guys so he's taking this by surprise and the game is called the one game we usually play it with all our guests mm-hmm. and basically we ask you a question and you have to answer this with one thing basically and uh, you're allowed one pass and to throw one question back to me or Guy if you don't want to answer it. So these are the rules to this game. Okay. Okay, and you're allowed one how pass. Many,
2: how many questions do we have?
0: I'm actually not sure. Seven. We have seven. Oh, actually, wow. no, ten. 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 We actually have they're ten. So, they're Yeah, but they're fast. Yeah, we're ending it. So, okay. I'm starting. Okay. What is the one thing you hate the most about being a scientist?
3: Who
2: Responsibilities. <laughs> mm.
0: What is the one thing you fear the most in science? Hmm.
2: Dogma. Hmm. Ooh.
0: Interesting. Interesting answer. Who is the one person in history, dead or alive, you want to have dinner with and why? Leonardo da Vinci.
2: wow why is my biggest inspiration in looking at world and science I love that what is the one personality trait you wish
0: you had say again what is the one personality personality trait you wish you
2: had ooh wow well I will have to revert to Question to
3: mm.
2: guy.
1: Okay. <laughs> <laughs> oh, this this one's easy. I I would be. I wish I was more uh, even more like or, organized. Like I'm a bad note taker. Cause I, it's because I—it's mm. because I have a good
2: memory, Welcome like you. Come to club. So <laughs> I,
1: I, I can't. I—it's so hard when you remember things and then sometimes you forget. So I'm like, Ugh,
2: I mm. notes. Pe- people. People need the notes sometimes. Not I know.
1: Necessarily <laughs> you, so. I'm very bad, and it's illegible. You, so even yeah. when I try, I can't read it. <laughs> okay.
0: Now I'm very curious why you didn't answer that question, but I—but that's the rules. You have that pass. So, all right. What is the one pet peeve you you have?
2: Whew. I don't like surprises. <laughs> oh.
0: <laughs> <laughs>
2: <laughs> all
0: right, but we still have to continue the
2: game. I'm I, sorry. I, 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 <laughs> I like surprises, not all kinds of surprises. <laughs> I see.
0: I see. What is the one most common lo- white lie you us- usually say?
2: Ooh. Hmm. That is. I don't know. I don't really have any of those. I think.
0: So you don't? I can't. You don't think have of white lies then you're probably not a Middle Eastern.
2: <laughs> <laughs> we love our white lies. Yeah, I'll, uh, yeah. I'll be in time. That's the favorite one. Middle I'll be on time. I'll be there in a few minutes. Yes. <laughs> I'm five <laughs> hours later.
0: <laughs> I mean, you can, you're allowed, you have one pass that you can use. So. Pass. Oh, okay. What's the most common compliment you get? Um... That I'm a very good teacher. Oh, that's a beautiful one. What's the most influential movie you've seen or book you've heard, or you've read, sorry?
2: Ooh. Could be heard, actually, with Audible. Um, I, I can't do Audible books. It's, I, I, my well, attention span is about slow. 15, slow. 15 yeah. seconds. <laughs> Some
0: people say that, <laughs> yeah. I love them when I bike, but anyway, sorry, yeah.
2: So, um, wow. I, I, I mean, I, a lot of books, a lot of, a lot of movies. I have to, I have to, pick one and mm-hmm. in uh, for me personally in my life I, I think Richard Bach's Illusions mm. I haven't, haven't heard of it I don't think I've s- my first it's a book or a movie it's Sorry. a book
0: oh I've, I don't think I've read yeah. it yeah. it's
2: a book it's about 100 pages you'll read it in like two yeah, okay. hours mm. and it's a spiritual book but it's it's about mm. you know not having any limitations as a human being
0: yeah alright so what's the one song that you keep coming back to
2: hmm
0: i hope it's a turkish song i love turkish
3: songs (laughs) (laughs) me too
2: me too but i i'm usually a dance person so hey
0: i mean you pick a genre we've seen your instagram so we know Mm -hmm. that you go to burning man (laughs) i do yeah i I had to slide this in to the listeners (laughs) (laughs) yeah
2: i'm i'm i i love art which please share your
0: instagram for your listeners at this point let's use that opportunity for them to follow you. Follow oh yeah,
2: you. it's it's Doc Sarhat, D O C S E R H A T.
0: Thank you. So yeah, what was the move? Back
2: to the. What's the song? The song? What's the song? Uh, it's. I have a lot. It's a playlist. I can I can share the playlist. One <laughs> song, <laughs> yes, one song playlist. for us.
0: One song for <laughs> us. <laughs> one song. You have for to you. pick that. That's the cool thing about this game. You have to pick one thing, which makes it harder it is one song and you've used all your options there's no
2: (laughs) (laughs) Who wants (laughs) to be a millionaire (laughs) how long long do we have Um, (laughs) let's see
0: a song you go back to like you you, you've heard it months would pass and you say i want to listen to this again
2: um Actually, Mozart. I, I, um, <gasps> oh my god! Guy would Damn. love you now. I, I love you're guy, so Your guy's favorite. <laughs> so yeah, I when I uh, this is very interesting. When I have a new idea, mm-hmm. I uh, and I have to you know work on it in my mind and and on my whiteboard. And sometimes it takes two three days, and I rarely sleep within those three days period. Mm. And um, the ninth symphony is on. Um, the second part of the Ninth Symphony is actually on on repeat most of the time. If mm. I'm trying to create things, it just helps me go in the zone. So mm. Yeah.
1: Classicals top. I love that. We can talk about oh, that right, later. All right. Last <laughs> but not least, <laughs> yeah.
0: what's the one job you would pick other than what you're doing now?
2: Wow. That is an impossible mm-hmm. question to answer. Um, music, probably. I love Ooh. creating music.
3: That's a so beautiful one, yeah. That's uh, cool. Composing and, oh, and so playing. Playing.
0: That's a tough one. Yeah. So All right, we're reaching an end. I promise you, we're ending this. But the last part of the ending game is we say a word, and you have to reply one word. The first word that comes in your mind about it, you have to say it. Okay. Association game. Uh, yeah. So HIV. Cure. Vacation.
2: Time. <laughs> <laughs> India. Gods.
0: Oh God. <laughs> I love that. Philosophy. History. Kebab. Delicious. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. I hear, I relate. Art. Science. Palm trees. Beach. Success.
2: Inevitable. Ali friend
3: <laughs> oh, that's uh. it,
0: that's it. we usually always have that as a joke that's not part of the game <laughs> sir ha, thank you so much for being here my you pleasure. showed up we learned the fancy lab code is so lucky to have you today that's i appreciate awesome. it thank it you
2: was we was my this. pleasure thank you
3: for having me guys
1: very insightful
3: and thank you very much for listening